life and celebrating life. And it's traditionally, as we think about the term pro-life or the pro-life movement, we're talking about fighting for the lives of the unborn. But I want to look at a passage today that kind of expands our thinking about what it means to be pro-life, what it truly means to be someone who is life-affirming. It goes beyond giving money to a pregnancy resource clinic. That's very, very important. Uh, It goes beyond marching at an abortion clinic or posting stats about abortion on Facebook. To be someone who celebrates life, well, it involves so much more. And there's a story that uh, you all are familiar with that reminds us of just how big this this cause, this idea, this call from God truly is. What it means to be truly pro-life, I think, can be seen in the parable of the Good Samaritan. So if you found your place in Luke chapter 10, we're going to read this uh, well-known story, beginning in verse 25 and going on through to verse 37. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sent him, set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. In this story that Jesus tells uh, of the good Samaritan as we know it, he wants, he wants to answer this man's question, answers a couple of questions, but he gets to the heart of, who is my neighbor? Who is it that I'm supposed to be loving to fulfill the law? Jesus is, even beyond that, doing something else in this story. He's, he's reminding us that Beyond going to great sacrificial lengths to demonstrate true love to our neighbor, what he wants this man to see and what he wants us to see is that this is not naturally in our heart. This is too big for us to do. 
Just as with the law in the Old Testament, and the Israelites should have looked at the law and said, I can't do it. This is, this is, this is beyond us. We're sinners. We can't do this. And it should have called them to fall on their knees, caused them to fall on their knees and cast themselves upon the grace of God. So too should this man have heard what Jesus was saying and said, I, I, can't, I can't love like that. But instead he doubled down and wanted further clarification. Let's just kind of walk through this exchange and the story and then we'll, we'll kind of come to some application at the end. Uh, this man, uh, a lawyer, it identifies him. Uh, this was someone who was an expert in God's law, a Bible scholar and a theologian. This man knew the laws of God from the scriptures in the Old Testament. He sought to apply them to daily life. He knew the word of God inside and out. And he comes to Jesus with a question. Ultimately, he's really looking for, what is the minimum I've got to do here? What is it that I need to do to get by to be okay with God? What Jesus is going to cause him to see is that it's the righteousness that he's seeking, the righteousness that he's, he's chasing after is a righteousness that he can't attain. It's not something he can do on his own. It can only come from God. And so he asks him a question. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus throws it back and he says, well, you tell me, what does the law say? And the man replies that we've got to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength and all of our mind and your neighbor as yourself. And none of us can do that. None of us can do that. That's not within us. The Bible has a lot, of, a lot to say about where our hearts are. Jeremiah says our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know them? We can't do this. And this man should have seen that, but he didn't. He doubled down and he says he wants further clarification. He says he's wishing to justify himself. He's wanting, as I said, to just get by with like, what's the least I've got to do? Who, who at the bare minimum do I need to love to be okay with God? Who's my neighbor? And so Jesus tells him a story about a man who goes on a journey. He's heading from Jerusalem down to Jericho. This was a, a road that was steep and dangerous. In fact, some people uh, called it the bloody way. So common for robbers and thieves to hide among uh, in the shadows of the rocks that it was well known to be a treacherous journey. Jerusalem rests at 3,000 miles above sea level, while Jericho, only 17 miles away, sits on land 1,000 feet below the level of the, the Mediterranean. That's why Jesus said he's going down on this journey. He was, it was a, a difficult and treacherous trail. Traveling on the Jericho Road in those days was very much like walking through a dark alley in the worst part of a modern city, except that it was many, many miles until you found a street light. And what happens here is that this man is attacked by robbers, beaten. That was a common response if you didn't give up your loot right away. And sometimes even if you did, uh, they, they would beat you so that you couldn't uh, quickly go for help or turn them in or retaliate in any way. They left him there, uh, the text says, half dead. Verse 31 tells us that by chance, a priest was going down that road. The priest was someone who would have uh, been at the top of the social ladder. Jesus did not pick some 
half-hearted chump here in the illustration. He wanted uh, to let them know that th this person that was going to find this man first was not a, a flaky, part-time, fair-weather, bandwagon follower of God. He locked in on what everyone would have perceived as the most godly, most spiritual, most theologically knowledgeable person walking those dusty roads that day, a priest. Someone who we all would think, if we were hearing this story at the feet of Jesus, yes, of course, a priest. Thank God the priest is here. He will be saved. Of course, the text tells us that he walks by, not even stepping over him, on the other side of the road, staying as far away from him as, as he can. This wealthy priest who should have known what God demanded, what God wanted him to do in a situation such as that, simply passed by. The next to come upon this beaten and bloody man was a Levite. A Levite was basically a priest's assistant. The priest had the primary responsibility for the sacrificial duties in the temple, and the Levite would care for and maintain the temple and do a variety of other tasks uh, to, help, uh, to help sort of keep the temple up and running. This would have been a spiritual person, someone, again, who should have known better. But yet, he too passes by on the other side of the road. Why? Why did these men pass by? They, they, they were likely, I'm sure, several available excuses. The priest could say, if he's dead and I touch him, I'd be unclean for several, seven days and unable to perform my duties. Perhaps it was because I'm in a hurry. I've got things to do. I'm so busy. My schedule's full. I've got to be back to, back to Jerusalem by nightfall. I've got a lot of business in Jericho. Uh, it's, it's a long day. This would take forever to take care of this man. If I stop and linger, perhaps those robbers are still hiding, still waiting for me to stoop down and begin caring for him, and they're going to jump me as well. You see, when it comes to celebrating life, when it comes to coming alongside those who are beaten and broken, those who are helpless, those who have no voice, if I'm honest, I've used all the same excuses and more. I've seen the hardness in my own heart, and perhaps you have too. God has presented opportunities for you to come alongside and bind up wounds, physical or otherwise. Care for the helpless. Lend a hand to those in need. And so often we pass by on the other side with hard hearts and a list full of excuses. Charles Spurgeon, as always, said it so well. In one of his sermons, he said, I shall leave you to make all the excuses you like about not helping the poor and aiding the hospitals. And when you have made them, they will be as good as those which I have set before you. You have smiled over what the priest might have said, but if you make any excuses for yourselves, whenever real need comes before you and you are able to relieve it, you need not smile over your excuses. The devil will do that. You had better cry over them, for there is the gravest reason for lamenting that your heart is hard toward your fellow creatures when they are sick and perhaps sick unto death. 
As we read a passage like this, we need to prayerfully ask, God, are there ways that I can be helping rescue, love, celebrate life, and my heart is hard and I'm passing by? Jesus then tells us who did stop and help him. Verse 33, but a Samaritan. We all know the stories of how Jewish people and Samaritans viewed one another. It wasn't just Jews that looked down on Samaritans. Samaritans didn't care much for Jews either. It went both ways. They headed out for each other. Many Jewish rabbis uh, would, would it, it wasn't just like implied in the culture. Many Jewish rabbis would get up and teach just how filthy Samaritans were. Like it was part of their sermons, how bad these people were. How we need to stay away from them and how unclean they are. <laughs> but a Samaritan. As soon as Jesus' hearers would have heard that word, they would have edged forward in their seats, wondering what he's about to say about this unclean pig, someone who many Jews even considered worse than Gentiles. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back to you. By choosing a Samaritan, Jesus picks some of the Jews' own worst enemies and demonstrates that this Samaritan, who didn't know the man, he didn't owe him anything, he didn't have anybody to impress. He simply saw someone in need, and he came alongside of him. You see, not only are we good at making excuses for why we should or shouldn't get involved in coming alongside the poor, the sick, helping to rescue the unborn, to spend time with that unwed pregnant mother, whatever it may be, on top of those excuses, th this man could have said, listen, this person here lying on the ground is my enemy. If he were conscious and alert, he would express his hatred for me. The truth of the matter is, I don't like him much either. If anybody had a halfway decent excuse to walk on by, we probably would have all given the Samaritan a free pass. And yet, he stoops down and gets in the dirt. He gets the man's blood on him. He touches him and lovingly cares for him. He uses all of his available resources to help the injured man, 
oil and wine, a cloth wrapping, his animal, his time, his energy, his money. He poured everything he had into saving and loving this man. And so, Jesus finishes his story with a question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer replied, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus made him say it. Who was this man's neighbor? Who was the one who genuinely cared about this man? Who was the one who showed mercy? The lawyer couldn't even say the word, the Samaritan. As we think about what this passage has to do with being pro-life, there are four things I wrote down. The first one is that being pro-life, truly pro-life, begins with seeing. It begins with having eyes that are opened. First of all, it begins with seeing our own hearts. Scripture is, not, scripture is clear about the kind of people God wants us to be. Jesus is not vague about who our neighbor is. We don't get to pick and choose who we get to love. He says, love God with every fiber of your being and love each other the same way. Those are impossible standards. Remember here the context of the story. Jesus is not just telling the parable to remind us to be nice to everyone, even though uh, we might not like them. He wanted to expose the ugliness in this man's heart. He wanted to hear the man say, I can't do this. I can't love like that. I need to be rescued every bit as much as the man lying in the road. You see, when we're met with the impossible standards of the gospel, God's desire is for us to fall down on our knees and humble repentance before him, to cast ourselves upon his mercy. But there is more to the story than us seeing our own hearts and our need for the gospel. It's seeing those who are around us. I don't know if you noticed, but each person that came upon the man, it seems like a, just a simple observation, but it says each person, the priest, the Levite, and then the Samaritan, each of them saw this man. It's just kind of part of the text. It's not a, it doesn't really jump out at you, but it's important that they actually they saw the need. It was there. God brought it to their attention. If we're to be people who are truly pro-life, we have to be people who are alert to the needs around us. Jesus was a specialist at this. He could always, always spot a person in need. And yeah, we could brush that off and be like, well, you know, it was Jesus. So he's got those special, like, Jesus goggles and he could see. But, you know, for so many of us, part of our problem is that we just don't stop long enough to see. Sometimes we don't want to see. because We don't want to end up in the dirt or with blood on our hands or with a few less dollars in our pocket. Jesus always took time to see people. Last week we talked about how God sees us, truly sees us and knows us. And now we see here in this story that God wants us to do that with others. You see, living out of a, a, a framework of, 
uh, being known by God, that God truly understands and knows me and cares about me as an individual, as a person. He knows my name. When I get that, I'm free then to look and to see other people, to truly see them. All around us in this community, there are those in need. There, there are children in foster care that need a home. There are unwed pregnant moms who are vacillating between abortion and choosing life. There are those that have no money to pay bills and no one's ever taught them how to manage the little money that they do have. All around us there is need. If only we will have eyes to see. Being truly pro-life begins by seeing. Secondly, being pro-life means having a heart of compassion. It says in verse 33 that this Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He had compassion. That Greek word there is used only in the Gospels, and it's almost always used of Jesus. It's the heart of Christ. It's, it's a heart. This word means to be moved deep in the depths of your, your very being. And you can't feel this way unless you have the heart of Jesus. Yes, you can care deeply about someone without knowing Christ. But to, about, to, but to care deeply about someone you normally would have considered to be a pariah can only come from a heart changed by Jesus. To do something loving for your enemies, that's Jesus. But you see, this heart of compassion that we're called to have, it's a messy thing. A heart of compassion for the lost begins with venturing deeply into the grace of God. We will not have good Samaritan-like compassion for the hurting unless we are caught up with the grace of God. And we cannot show this kind of compassion unless we come near to the hurting. The Samaritan didn't even consider some other option of quote-unquote help. Like, throw a few bucks on the ground and quick get back away. He didn't, uh, he didn't toss him the bandages and say, hope, hope that helps a little bit. No. Didn't even say, you know what? I'm on my way to Jericho. When I get there, I'll let them know about your situation and I'll send help. He came near to him. You know, when we come near to those who desperately need the love and the grace of God, it will get messy. Some of you know this by experience. I've talked to you about situations you're in. When you come alongside, you'll get hurt, you'll get used sometimes, you'll get taken advantage of. You may end up uh, helping someone out financially and they may squander some of that. It will get messy. This man got filthy and bloody as he got down to serve and love this broken and dying man. For us to get serious about reaching people in need, it must come from a heart of compassion. 
truly down deep. Listen, church, Sanctity of Life Sunday, the remembrance of the Roe versus Wade decision should cause the church to step back and think that, be reminded that life is so much more. It's, it is about rescuing the unborn. It's not less than that, and that is crucial, but it's so much more. It's about fighting for those caught in human trafficking, orphan care, loving the unborn, caring for the poor, welcoming the stranger. When, you, when we think about the immigration crisis in our country, a lot of times as I hear Christians talk, it's, we've like considered it only from a political angle. And it's like, let's just send them, send them back and build that wall. When you read the, New, the Old Testament, I read this week, I, I didn't have time to verify, but I read this week that the, 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 the second most frequent command in the Old Testament is for God's people to care for the foreigner and the stranger. And so often we're just quick to dismiss and, and push aside. We don't, we don't want these people here. We don't want somebody uh, different. We don't want this burden on us to care for. And God's like, uh, the burden is kind of on you. Like, you're called to care for the orphan, the widow, and the stranger. We're called to care for those who don't have a voice. You be so careful about turning any of these things, combating racism, any of these things, into political issues. That's, that's such passing the buck. These are, these are Christ, like relationship with Christ heart issues. And God has called us as the church to be at the front lines of affirming life by caring for those who are hurting. At some point, I don't know, when this happened, I don't know if it was, I, I, don't, I don't know my, my history well enough, my U.S. history, to know when the church pulled away. I think maybe it had a lot to do with the New Deal in the 40s, but it may have even begun before that. But the church just began relinquishing, caring for these things, and handing it over to the government and saying, listen, you guys are going to give them money? You guys are going to take care of the... Like, Christians have always been, throughout history, on the front lines of starting hospitals. Christians have always been on the front lines of caring for orphans. Look, read your history. All the, all the orphanages in England were, were started by believers. George Mueller, huge pioneer, caring for orphans. Florence Nightingale, hospitals. I mean, Christians have, have been always throughout history on the front lines of this. And somehow, over the last 50 to 80 years, we've been like gradually just like, hey, if there's a government program, let's just send them there. And it's become convenient. Because I don't, I don't have to get any blood on my hands. I don't have to get dirty. Let somebody else do that. You see, thirdly, being pro-life means living a life of action. To truly affirm life, to truly care for people in need means that you will step forward. This Samaritan, we've already said it, he, he got down, he bound up the wounds, he gave him medicine, he took him to an inn and paid money for this man's lodging and care. He took a risk by showing his face in, a, in the Jewish town of Jericho where he was not welcome. But that didn't stop him. So there's a well-known passage in James 2 where James 
puts it oh so bluntly. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. My brothers and sisters, we can't call ourselves Christians and not care. We can't call ourselves followers of Christ and not care about those who are in need. Listen, I don't dispute the fact that almost all of these things that we've listed here, they get complicated. They get difficult. I realize that some people are poor because of their own decisions. I realize that some people are in dire straits and dire needs because they've, they've sowed the seeds that have brought them to that place. But if you notice, Jesus doesn't tell us to go on the hunt for the reasons why people are in this place and then be the determiners as to whether or not they deserve mercy. Do you notice he never does that? He comes along and he, he heals, he loves, he helps. Think about the woman caught in adultery. He didn't lecture her before he showed her love. Only after he lovingly embraced her and her would-be executioners fled did he say, now go and sin no more. But the love came first. As believers, so often, our first step is to say, well, why are you here? Why are you in this place? If you didn't cross the border, you wouldn't be in trouble. If, if you hadn't uh, slept with this person, you wouldn't be pregnant. On and on. We're like, we want to we wanna take that first, like, make sure that they feel even worse about themselves than they already do. Make sure that we go through and run them through our process to determine if they need mercy. And we look at the story like this, and we look at the life of Jesus, and that's not the way he lived. He showed compassion. His heart was constantly moving towards those who were hurting, those who were sick, those who were in need. I'm not saying that these situations don't get difficult or sticky. But you see, fourthly, being pro-life is at the heart of the cross. The Samaritan put his life at risk to rescue this man. And our Savior gave his life to rescue us. The lawyer began all this with asking a question, who is my neighbor? But Jesus expands the question to become something far greater. To whom is God calling me to become a neighbor? See, it's the cross that gives us the heart change necessary to not only ask that question, but then to move forward in faithful obedience to bring his love toward others. When our, hearts, when our hearts are transformed by the mercy of Christ, we will show radical mercy that is unlike anything in this world. We're not motivated to care for the poor, to rescue the unborn, to fight racism by guilt. We are motivated to care for them by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we have a God who sent his son to become poor, to become despised, to become rejected, 
so that we might become rich. Jesus finished the parable by asking the man a question. Who is his neighbor? And the answer is the one who showed mercy. So Jesus says to him, you go and do likewise. My brothers and sisters, as I've studied this this week and spent time praying over this, I, I've, I've been convicted because I, I man, I, I've made all the excuses. I, I'm an expert. If you ever run out of them, I've got, I've got some maybe you haven't thought of. But around us, there is a, a world that is lost and dying, and Jesus wants us to do more than post a stat on Facebook, to pray, which is crucial, even to send our money, which is important. But what Jesus calls us to do is go, to see, to open up our hearts in ways that only can come from him so that the world may know the heart of the Savior. Jesus said it's, it's not the, the healthy that need a physician, it's the sick. When you look at his ministry, that's who he went to. Those who were cast away, those who were down and out, those who were hurting and broken and beat up. We have those people all around us. If, if we're to be truly pro-life, to celebrate life, God calls us to step forward and to love as Jesus loved. I want us to just take a few moments here as we um, conclude our service to just have some quiet time between us and the Lord, right where you are, to just talk to God and ask him to search your heart. First of all, to ask God, have I... Have I been making up excuses? Have I seen needs? And am I the priest? Am I the Levite who walks around on the other side? Maybe this is someone in your family. Maybe this is a coworker. Maybe this is someone you've seen pushing a cart down the street. A ministry that God has laid on your heart and you've continually pushed aside. Let's take some time to ask God to search our hearts and convict us if we have been unwilling to get our hands dirty. And then ask him how he's calling us to be involved. I realize that everybody can't do everything, as the saying goes, but all of us can be doing something, must be doing something if we call ourselves followers of Christ. Let's just take a few moments of quiet prayer and go before the Lord and ask him to search our hearts and to lead us here.
morning, if God's just laid something on your heart, I encourage you not to keep it to yourself. God has laid a person, a face, a ministry, a cause upon your heart. I encourage you to share it with somebody today, with this week. Let us know how we can pray for you and come alongside you and encourage you in that ministry as, as God calls you and I to love and to care for, to truly be pro-life. Father, you are the, the ultimate life affirmer. You have created all life by the breath of your mouth, the spoken word, hung the stars in the sky, called, caused the animals to fill the earth, the creatures of the sea to rise up. And Lord God, you have, in the crowning jewel of your creation, breathed life into the very dust of the earth and made man and woman in your own image. You are the author and the originator of life. No life exists apart from you, O oh God. You are the one who has created it. You are the one who sustains all life. You uphold the universe by the word of your power, Scripture says. And all around us are souls, life. God, all around us are those who we get along with, dear friends that we love to spend time with. In our heart of hearts, we sort of wish that Jesus said those ones were our neighbors. It's like the lawyer, deep down, we want to justify ourselves. Well, good, I'm good. I, I can love that person. But Father, I, I want to just ask that you would open our eyes to see the life, the souls that are around us. May we not pass by. When we see someone in the grocery store. We're tempted to by going down the other aisle. Someone being loud and obnoxious. Someone complaining. Even someone criticizing us. Saying hurtful things. Lord, help us to truly see them. Not with rolled eyes. Not through crossed arms and furrowed brows, but to see them with the eyes of Jesus. Father, show us what it looks like to see people with your eyes. And just like this Samaritan, Lord, would you move our hearts with compassion? God, I know that I don't have that in my heart in and of myself I might be moved with compassion towards my kids or people who are really nice to me but 
I don't have it in me to have a heart of compassion for those that are going to maybe hurt me. It, mean, it means loving them is going to take up my time and my energy, my money. God, I don't have that heart. Give us the heart of Christ that we might be moved with compassion. May we, may we not fool ourselves into thinking that we can be Christians without action. hands and feet to them, moving towards others. Lord, I, I realize that maybe not everybody in this room is, is called to passionately fight for the unborn. But you've called some of us to that. You've called some of us to care for widows. You've called some of us to be foster parents and to adopt. Lord God, you have called some of us to care for refugees and immigrants, for the strangers among us. You've called some of us to come alongside the poor and disciple them and love them. You've called some of us to combat racism. Lord, I pray that we would never be content to just come here and sit for once a week, for an hour once a week, and let that be called our Christian life. We are called to go out. We are called to celebrate life by pointing souls to Jesus and loving them as he does. Lord God, I want to ask that you would speak specifically to hearts this morning and show them a clear path to where you're calling them. Might we as a church be able to work alongside them and help facilitate that? Maybe providing a space for discipleship or parent visits or, or helping uh, provide resources for adoption, pointing them to widows who might be in need or whatever it is, Lord, as a church, let us be able to come alongside those whom you're calling even right now to be Samaritans, to be people who affirm life our community. It's because of Jesus that we can do this. We need that heart of Jesus, oh God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before I send you on your way, I just want to challenge you. If you want to spend some further time in prayer or have a conversation or have someone um, just talk to you, uh, we would love to have you come up front and, and pray with you and, and, and talk with you. I just want to encourage you to be in prayer about what God is speaking to your heart. May God bless you this week as you listen to his word.